0: Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so you can experience God. We pray that this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and helps you to take one step closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good afternoon, Arise. Did you know that everything you love or everyone you love will die? That everything you build will crumble? That everything you say will be forgotten. That everything you do will come to nothing unless God exists. Because if there is no God, we're just going to one day become worm food and it's all over. Nothing ultimately matters. You say, where are you getting a message like this from? From the Bible. In fact, Solomon, who was the second wisest man to ever live, you know, Jesus was the wisest man to ever live, Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. And the theme of Ecclesiastes is that life is meaningless without God. In fact, here's what he said in chapter two of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He goes on to say, I work all my days, acquire all this stuff, then I die, I leave it to somebody else and then he dies. What's the point? What is the point? Is there any meaning to life? How about you? Bored? Trying to find your next buzz on social media? Trying to figure out what life is all about? You know, if you take the world standards, the world says you gotta have A good relationship, you gotta have money, you gotta have power. If you have those things, you're gonna be happy. If that were the case, we should be the happiest nation in the world, but we're not. We've got everything to live with and nothing to live for. Why do we lead the world in drug use? Why are we among the leaders of divorce, another indicator of unhappiness? Why have suicide rates risen 30% over the past 20 years? Doesn't seem like we're all that happy. Why is there an identity crisis among young people right now? They don't even know what gender they are, apparently. Well, I hope today to talk about how do you find hope and identity, because that's what our culture is really looking for. How do you find hope... And identity and we're gonna try and do this in three steps first step what are the three possible paths that you can find hope and identity then secondly the three seductive traps that as you're trying to go down these paths you might be tempted to go down you might be seduced into one of these traps and you got to know what these traps are so you don't get seduced and caught in one of these traps And then the third point is what's the one biblical answer? How do you actually find legitimate, lasting, eternal hope and identity? So we're gonna start right here at point one, three possible paths, you guys ready to go? All right. There's only really three ways to find hope or identity. You can look out to other people, you could look in to your heart, or you could look up to God. Now I'm purposely leaving out down to Satan, okay? Hopefully, we're not, we're not gonna consider that. But you can look out to other people, into yourself, or you can look up to God. And over time, different cultures have told you to try and find hope and identity in different ways. For example, ancient culture would tell you to follow your family. Look out, look out to other people, follow your society. So in ancient culture, for example, if you were a potter, Or if your father was a potter, you were a potter. If your father was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If you were a woman, you just took care of the home. That's what you did. You took your cues from other people. They told you the track to run on and you ran on it. Modern culture isn't like that. Modern culture is exactly the opposite. Modern culture doesn't say look out to other people or look out to your family or your society. Modern culture says look into your heart, follow your heart, figure out what's on your heart and whatever your heart wants to do, you follow that and that will bring you genuine hope and identity. In fact, Modern culture says you need to cross every stream. You need to swim every ocean. You need to climb every mountain. Is that like The Sound of Music? Or is that some Disney movie? It's probably a combination of all of them, right? You're supposed to just follow your heart and and just overcome every obstacle to do it and don't let anyone tell you, you ought not do that. Don't let them talk you out of it, ignore them Follow your heart, and you'll find happiness, you'll find identity, you'll find hope. And then, of course, religious culture is follow the rules. Whatever your religion tells you to do, that's what you do. Now, a lot of you might think, well, that's Christianity. No, Christianity is not that, actually. None of these are the right way, but let's talk about the modern culture, because that's what's really prevalent in our world. Follow your heart. Is it a good idea to follow your heart? Well, here's how modern culture works. Here's how the modern psyche works. If you have an idea or a desire on your heart, we tend to think that that idea or desire is really who you are. That's you. So particularly when it comes to the sexual issues, if you have a sexual preference for, say, somebody of the same sex, That's who you are, that's your identity. So if someone else comes along, like a preacher, who says, well, actually, God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to follow your heart down that road. Those people then think you're attacking them because, you see, they're saying, that's my identity. The idea on my heart is me. And so when you say this is wrong, you're attacking me. Now, in reality... That's not the way the world works, but that's the way our world works. And unfortunately, this kind of idea has even infiltrated the church. So you now have churches who will say, despite what the Bible says, we're going to say that, say, any sexual identity you have is a good thing, and God wants you to do that. If God has put that on your heart, they'll say, then follow it. Unfortunately what this is indicating is that the new religion in America is more meology than it is theology. It's all about me. Whatever I want, God wants for me. In this case, God isn't God doesn't make us in his image. We make God in our image. Whatever God or whatever I want is what God wants for me. I'm going to make God in my own image. Now, of course, This is nothing new. People have been doing this for years. They think, I'm gonna make a God in my own own image, and I'm just gonna follow it. Now, they don't really think they're doing that, but that's what they're doing. You know, if your God doesn't disagree with you anywhere, you've got the wrong God. In reality, (laughs) some idea that you have on your heart is not the true you. We need to separate ideas that you have from the true you, although there's one exception to this, I'll get to it at the end. Your identity is not whatever you think about. If your identity was whatever you thought about, then most men would be women and most women would be chocolate. Okay? But let's dig a little deeper into this idea of should you follow your heart. And I'm here to say that you should not follow your heart without moral restraint. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons. We're gonna look at three of them. The first reason you ought not follow your heart is because our hearts are selfish and deceitful. And you don't wanna be deceived by your own heart. Secondly, our hearts are conflicting. You might think you want something, but on the other hand, you want something at the same time almost almost exactly the opposite. And then thirdly, our hearts change. Your heart changes over time. What you thought was a good idea two years ago, you might think's a crazy idea right now because your heart changes. So it makes no sense to blindly follow your heart because your heart's probably gonna change anyway. Let's look at each one of these in order. Let's start with your hearts are selfish and, conce- and deceitful. Let me ask you a question. Let's suppose be while you were getting ready to come to church this morning, you went into your bathroom to get ready and you looked in your mirror and you noticed there was a sign attached to your head and this sign transmitted in big LED letters every thought you had. You couldn't turn the sign off, you couldn't cover it, no matter where you went, everyone could read every thought that you were thinking, would you be here in this church right now? (laughs) I wouldn't leave the bathroom, would you? (laughs) Why, because your heart, my heart, our hearts are deceitful and wicked. When we meet people, well, let me put it this way. This is why you can never remember somebody's name if you meet a group of people. Because when you meet somebody for the first time, you're not thinking about the name. You know what you're doing? You're evaluating them. That is the ugliest shirt I've ever seen. <laughs> Where did you get that haircut, Walmart? I mean, you're not, you're not thinking nice thoughts. You're evaluating people, you're judging people. You're thinking about what, this, what can this person do for me? Do, do I even want to know this person? You're thinking all about yourself. You're not thinking about that person, that's why you can't remember their names. And in fact, if you think about your heart, you think about my heart, we we grew up this way. We were selfish from the beginning. You never have to teach a two-year-old to say mine. Right, he already knows that. You have to teach a two-year-old to share, right? It's easy to be bad, it's hard to be good. And by the way, only the Christian worldview believes that. Islam, they think people are inherently good. Other worldviews, they think people are inherently good. Only the Judeo-Christian worldview agrees that we're depraved, that we're bent toward evil, that it's easy to be bad, it's hard to be good, and we need to renew our minds, and we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us behave better, because left to ourselves, we're not gonna behave better. We need renewal. And of course, the scriptures teach this. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You might say, well, no, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm better than my neighbor. Well, you know what? You might be better than your neighbor, but you're only less worse than he or she, right? You're only comparing yourself against your neighbor who might be worse than you. You're not comparing yourself against the perfection of say Jesus. Sure you look good compared to other bad people, but you're still a bad person. In fact, there are no good people, did you know that? Jesus with the rich young ruler the rich young ruler called Jesus good and he said, why do you call me good? Do you realize there's none good but God? What was Jesus, was Jesus denying his Godhead? No, he was actually affirming it. He's saying, do you realize that you're calling me good and there's none good but God? Which means you're calling me God which is in fact what I am. So if anyone ever says to you, hey, I'm a good person, you might ask them, are you God? (laughs) There's none good but God. And if you think you're good, what's happening? Your heart is deceiving you. You You know the worst thing about being deceived? Is you don't know you're being deceived. That's the whole point. If you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived, right? So our heart is deceitful and wicked. Every study shows this, by the way. Nobody just wants to believe it. In fact, there was a study by the Babylon Bee. They found out how deceitful people were. Here's what they found. Study finds 100% of men would eat any fruit given to them by a naked woman. Right? You'd say, I'd have done better than Adam and Eve. No, you wouldn't. You'd do the same thing, wouldn't you? No, we're not supposed to follow our heart. The scriptures actually say the opposite. In fact, I think the most important verse in the Bible for today's culture, other than the gospel itself, actually comes from the Old Testament. Comes from Proverbs chapter 4, and here's what it says. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. If your heart is in a certain state, and it's not a good state, you're going to wind up doing things that are going to hurt you and hurt others. So guard your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful and wicked. So that's the first reason you can't follow your heart without moral restraint. The second reason you can't follow your heart is because your heart is conflicting. Yeah, you want that donut, don't you? Yeah, but you also want to be healthy, right? I mean... On one hand, you want to be healthy. On the other hand, you just want to eat whatever you want, don't you? You want both. Your heart's conflicting. You want that shiny new thing, but yet you also want to be financially secure. You don't want to go into debt and create all that stress in your life. Your heart wants both things. You want the new thing, but you don't want to go into debt to do it. You want to get married, you love that person, you want to be locked into that person, you really love that person. On the other hand, you know, I don't want to lose my independence. I want to be able to play the field. Look, you can't have it both ways. You got to pick one or the other. I don't know about you, but when I got married, it really put a damper on my dating life. You gotta pick one or the other, and your heart at times may tell you to go in different directions. In fact, every married person in here, I'm sure at some point, this might happen to you every other day. You might find somebody you find attractive. And you might go, yeah, it would be fun to just, yeah. You wanna follow your heart there? Disaster. You wanna have a family, right? Oh, I wanna have a family. I wanna be blessed with children. I can't wait to get these little buggers out of my house. Right? I love them, but they're a lot of work, a lot of mess, a lot of money. You want it both ways, don't you? You wanna have a wonderful family with great kids. On the other hand, you wanna get back to where you could actually have a life of your own, right? You can't have it both ways. What are you gonna do? Your heart is conflicting over and over again you got to make choices, and you got to stick with those choices one way or the other. If you don't, it's disaster. In fact, you might want to have a great career. You might want to have the title. You might want to have the office. You might want to have the money, all the perks that go with it, but that's going to take a lot of time. Oh, I also want to have a great family life. But guess what? You can't be at your kid's Little League game at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night while you're on that business trip at the same time, right? What are you gonna choose? Your heart's divided. You can't do it all. You can't have it all. You gotta make choices. What are you gonna choose? You gotta restrain one side or the other. C.S. Lewis put it very well about restraint. Here's what he said about restraint. He said, surrender to all our desires obviously leads to impotence, disease, jealousies, lies, concealment, and everything that is the reverse of health, good humor, and frankness. For any happiness, even in this world, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary. You need to restrain yourself one way or the other. You gotta make a choice. You can't just follow your heart blindly. So the first reason you can't follow your heart is because your heart's deceitful and wicked. The second reason is because your heart is conflicting. The third reason is your hearts are changing. In fact, why do you think there's been a 6,000% increase in young girls claiming to be trans over the past decade? It's not because there's a new biological thing going on. It's coming through social media. This is where girls are getting the idea that in order to be accepted, they, if they claim to be trans, will get virtually universal acceptance. In fact, uh, Abigail Schreier, who wrote the seminal book called Irreversible Damage, how the transgender craze is damaging our daughters, said in some of the schools she's visited, well, let me put it this way before I get to Abigail, This condition known as gender dysphoria, which is a real condition, it's been around a long time, used to affect one out of every 10,000 men where generally a man would say, I'm in the wrong body, I really ought to be a woman, okay? One out of every 10,000, mostly men. Sometimes it was the other way, but mostly men. Now, according to Abigail Schreier, some of the schools she's visited, high schools, 30% of the girls are claiming to be trans. How did we go from one in 10,000 men to 3,000 in 10,000 girls? It's all social media. Look, when you're a young person, you just wanna fit in, right? You wanna get the approval of everyone. What's the fastest way in our culture to get approval? Oh, just claim you're trans or LGBTQ of any kind. People are gonna applaud you, and anybody who says, oh, don't go down that road, you're gonna hurt yourself, they're gonna be shouted down and canceled. They're gonna be called names. You're a bigot, you can't do that. Look, there's only two ways you can run your, run your life. You can run your life through principle, truth, or you can run your life through power. That's it. Are you going to follow the truth? Oh, if you're not, then you're just going to utilize power to shut everybody else up who disagrees with you. That's what cancel culture is. That's what censorship is. We need to shut everybody down because they don't agree with us. Because we can't argue reasonably to this. So we just gotta shut up any opposition. Now, 10 minutes ago, the LGBT community were claiming we were born this way. Now they're saying you can go to bed as a man and wake up as a woman. Which, which is it? And I don't know if you've noticed, I mentioned this in the seminar, that. Transgenderism presupposes fixed genders. Because if I'm a man and uh, yet I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is to know I have this issue. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as transgenderism. And secondly, if I want to make the so-called transition, which by the way is impossible, you can't change your biology. You can change your mind, but you can't change your biology. If I want to make the so-called transition, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is in order to do that as well. This is why, by the way, there are some people within this community who are experiencing a bit of a civil war. Why? Because if the T's get their way that there are no fixed genders, then the L, the G, and the B people don't exist. Because if there are no genders, how can you be bisexual? How can you be gay or lesbian? You can't. The lesbians aren't I mean the uh, the feminists aren't happy with this either. Why? Because if there are no genders, there are no women and if there are no women, there are no women's rights. Do you see why this is a bit internally contradictory? And we don't help people ladies and gentlemen by lying to them. If you truly want to help people who are truly experiencing gender dysphoria, you treat that with psychiatry. You don't treat it with surgery. If you have a mismatch between your body and your mind, and your body is fine, it's your mind that needs to be changed, you don't treat that with surgery, you treat that with psychiatry. In fact, Dr. Paul McHugh of John Hopkins University talks about transgenderism and our approach to transgenderism as if it were anorexia. He said, if someone has anorexia, you wouldn't say to them, as a way of helping them, let me give you liposuction. You're right, you're dangerously overweight. No, we would say, you have a problem in your mind. Your body needs nourishment. And to give that person liposuction would be malpractice. But that's essentially what we're doing on the transgender issue. We're giving somebody who has a psychological mismatch between their their mind and their body, we're saying you can change your body. Your mind is right, your body's wrong. You can't change your, your, your gender. You can't do it. Your sex is in every one of your 100 trillion cells. You can't change that. And those that do get the surgery, tragically, 10 years later, their suicide rate is 19 times higher than the general public. There is a honeymoon period. After they get the surgery, they feel better. But then 10 years later, their suicide rate is 19 times higher than the general public. We are not helping people by applauding them to go down this road. You truly want to help people? You tell them the truth. I don't know if you've seen um, Bill Maher. Do you guys know who Bill Maher is? He's an atheist. Years ago, I was on his program a few times called Politically Correct, Not Politically Correct. Now he's on HBO, Real Time with Bill Maher. He's an atheist. He's a far left person, but he's a classical liberal, meaning he doesn't like where the left has gone recently in the sense that they're trying to cancel people and censor people and shut people down, and he sees there's a problem with this transgender movement. And he's totally gay-affirming in everything he says, except he says this, and he had this in his monologue, I don't know, a couple of months ago. The, the, the little monologue was called Along for the Pride, and he said, notice how every generation that's younger increasingly says they're part of the LGBT community. He said, you know, it starts with the silent generation at .8, born before 1940, baby boomers, 2.6, generation X, 4.2, millennials, 10.5, generation uh, Z is is 20.8. He said, at this pace, by the time we hit 2060, we'll all be gay. (laughs) Do you see the problem here? What's he saying? He's saying, look, this is a social contagion, is what's going on here. This is not something that is biological. If it were biological, you wouldn't have these differences here. And as you know, they've done the twin studies, identical twins, and they've realized there is no genetic component to homosexuality. But even if there was, that wouldn't change whether or not it's something you ought to engage in. If I have a genetic component to anger, does that make gay bashing okay for me? No, we're all born with a genetic disposition to bad behavior. It's called depravity. The question is how ought we behave, not whether our inclinations want us to behave a certain way. And Mark realizes that giving surgery to children to try and change their gender is child abuse. Do you realize there have been girls in Oregon they have a law there that says you don't need parental consent. There have been 13-year-old girls in Oregon who have gotten top surgery, double mastectomies, and their parents didn't even know. I'm not making this up. Just this past March on Transvisibility Day, The Biden administration's health and human services division put out a statement that said if you have a child as young as three who thinks they're the other gender, you have an obligation to give them gender affirming care. Do you know what gender affirming care is? You need to try and help them transition. I'm not making this up. I'll send you the documentation. This is what our federal government is saying now. And they even hinted in there that if you don't do that, you have a three-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl and you don't help him transition, if the government finds out, they may come take that child from you. Yeah, I know, I don't believe it either, but that's what the memo says. Now why does this happen? Because Christians, you're all sissies and you're all silent. If you're not gonna stand up for children, who are you gonna stand up for? Oh, I might lose my status on Twitter. (laughs) So what? (laughs) Speak the truth and leave the results to God. Now, Marr pointed out in his show, and you can find this on YouTube. It's worth watching. He pointed out, that young people, look, look, young people go through phases all the time. When you're a young person, when you're especially a teenager, you've got all sorts of stuff going on in your body, right? You've got all sorts of changes, there's hormones going on, there's growth, you're trying to figure out who you're gonna be as an adult. Things change almost by the minute. People go through phases. And you may think, this is great at one point, and you know, 10 minutes later you're going, it's not great anymore. And in fact, Mars says, look, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate. It's a good thing my parents didn't take me for eye removal and peg leg surgery. (laughs) He's right. Thomas Sowell, who is a 92-year-old intellectual, grew up in Harlem, but uh, then uh, actually taught at some of the best schools in America, recently said this about the current state of what's going on in our schools and our culture. He said, ours may become the first civilization destroyed not by the power of our enemies, but by the ignorance of our teachers and the dangerous nonsense they are teaching our children. In an age of artificial intelligence, they are creating artificial stupidity. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York, retired pastor, brilliant guy. By the way, he has pancreatic cancer, so please pray for him. Anyway, Keller at one point said, another reason you can't just blindly follow your heart is because your heart is changing, and it changes a lot when you're a young person. Kind of the same thing Mar's saying. In fact, he said this. You ever notice, if you think back to when you were 10... As soon as you hit 15, you probably look back at your 10-year-old self and said, you know, I was kind of an idiot when I was 10. I didn't have everything together, right? Then you hit 20, and you look back at your 15-year-old self, and you said, you know, I was kind of an idiot when I was 15, right? Then you, when you hit 30, you look back at your 20-year-old self, and you say, I didn't have it all together when I was 20. I was kind of an idiot. You know what this means, according to, Ke- to Keller? No matter what age you are now, you're an idiot. Because you're always gonna look back at your earlier self and say, I didn't have it all together back then. Now, thankfully, this does slow down when you get older. I'm 60 now, when I was 50, and you know, I don't look back at my 50-year-old self and say, you know, I was kind of an idiot. Because when you get older, you, you know, things have, have pretty much settled down. But when you're young, things are changing by the, by the minute, it seems. It makes no sense to make a life-altering decision based on what you thought when you were 15. In fact, you know the young people that do experience true gender dysphoria, by the time they hit 18, 80% of them have grown out of it. So why would you give anybody surgery when they're 15 or 13 to try and correct something you can't correct anyway, when if they had just waited, they'd have been fine as they were. It makes no sense, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we can't blindly follow our hearts. All right, second point. What are the three seductive traps? How many of you were at the seminar this uh, weekend? Uh, How many of you were not? Where were you? (laughs) This is gonna be for you, because I mentioned this to the people who were at the seminar faithfully. My friend, Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, who's been on Dateline more than any other homicide detective because he solves homicides that are decades old, these cold cases, he says that whenever he finds a dead body that he knows has been murdered, he knows there's only three reasons why that guy's dead. It's not a thousand motives he needs to chase down, just three or a combination of the three. He says that guy's dead because there was either a sex issue, a money issue, or a power issue. Sex, money, or power. Those are the things that drive people to murder. In fact, those are the things that drive any of us to sin. Why? Because sex, money, and power are good things. The problem is they're so good, we'll often take shortcuts to get them. So the scriptures tell us the same story. John, Who wrote, of course, the Gospel of John, Book of Revelation, also wrote three other books, first, second, and third John. Here's what he says in First John. These are the three traps in the world. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lasts forever. Notice the lust of the flesh, sex, the lust of the eyes, money, and the boastful pride of life, power, pride, recognition. Those are the three things, the three seductive traps that can entrap any of us as we try and find true hope and identity. If you think sex, money, and power are gonna make you happy, ask anybody who got all those three things but doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and see if they're really happy. See if they're really content. Oh, they may be stylish, They may be comfortable, but they're not really content. There's something missing. And even Hollywood gets this. When Hollywood makes a great movie, it realizes that follow your heart is not gonna inspire people. But sacrifice to save others will inspire people. My son and I wrote a book just very recently He's an Air Force officer right now, but he's also a seminary graduate. The book's called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. And we pointed out that these movies and heroes from Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they all copy from the ultimate hero, Jesus, the greatest story ever told. And they all, every one of these characters or heroes in these stories, they don't follow their hearts They follow the truth. And that's inspiring. In fact, let me just give you one example from this. One of my favorite characters is Iron Man. How many have seen any of the Iron Man movies? You know who I'm talking about with Iron Man? All right. Iron Man, brilliantly played by Robert Downey Jr., who, by the way, really is Tony Stark in real life. Okay, because he got involved in drugs, he went to prison, right? He had everything, then lost it, then regained it again. Anyway, in the movie, Tony Stark is a billionaire, amoral, arms dealer, playboy guy that has everything you think you'd want to be happy. He's got sex, money, and power, yet he's still miserable. Why? Because it doesn't have any purpose. He doesn't have any meaning. He doesn't even know why he exists. He has everything to live with, but nothing to live for. Then there's a weapon that goes off, one of the weapons that he sold to terrorists, goes off near him. It puts shrapnel in his chest, and he has to have a device installed in the center of his chest to guard his heart from encroaching shrapnel. If that device dies, if that device fails, he dies. Now, for me, I don't know whether the movie writers. recognize this or not, but this is a beautiful picture of the most important Bible verse I just mentioned. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. And what does Tony Stark do? He does guard his heart for the next series of movies. I mean, he started out, you think there's no way this guy's a hero, he's a playboy, he's in it for himself. Then he goes through this long arc of character development over several movies to the point where you get to Endgame Spoiler alert. When he is about to take on Thanos, the evil Satan figure, he does, but he sacrifices himself in order to beat Thanos and he dies. Now, I'm not, I don't get welled up at movies, but I was almost welling up when Tony Stark, weren't you? He's dying! I'm like, he's my favorite guy. Unless, unless Doctor Strange does a multiverse thing, we're never gonna see this guy again, right? He's dying there and everyone's inspired by it. But imagine if at the end of the movie, the writer said, no, we don't want that ending. Why don't we do this? Why don't we have, let's, let's write it this way. Tony Stark is there with his Avenger buddies and he says to him, guys, I'm not just feeling it today. I just, I don't wanna take on Thanos. I want to, you know, I got to get back to following my heart and taking care of just me. I'm out. And then the movie ends. (laughs) Would anybody go, wow, that was inspiring? No, you'd go, that guy turned his tail and ran. He, He was in it just for himself. He was selfish. Oh, yeah, he was following his heart, but that wasn't inspiring. What inspires people? What inspires people is sacrifice, when somebody is gonna put their life on the line to save somebody else and bring them to a place of bliss. Well, this is what the Christian story is, right? Jesus comes to earth, adds humanity to his deity, he lives the perfect life in our place, allows the people that torture and kill him, who he's trying to save, he allows them to do that so he doesn't have to punish them, he punishes himself as well. He takes us from this world of pain and suffering to a place of bliss. That's what all these superheroes do. That's what fantasy movies do, right? They're trying to take, they're trying to save people from danger. They don't follow their hearts, they follow the truth. They sacrifice. So, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. If you try and put your identity or hope in sex, money, or power, you're going to ultimately be disappointed. It's a trap. Not that you don't need any of those things, but if you put those at the top of your list, you're gonna be disappointed. They're gonna let you down. Okay, what is the one biblical answer then? If we're not supposed to follow our heart, who are we supposed to follow? Well, remember, we said there are three ways. You could look out, in, or up. Why don't we look up? In order to know how to find true hope and identity, We've gotta know what the purpose of life is. Now, for those of you that were at the seminar, don't answer, this is for the people who weren't. What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? This is the interactive portion of the program. Why are we here? What's the whole point? Anyone? You were here. I mean, is it just to get a whole bunch of stuff and then you die? To get sex, money, and power? Is that why we're here? I think Jesus, when he was praying to the Father in John chapter 17, he's praying for us. I think he states what our real purpose is. Here's what he says. He says, praying for us. Now, this is eternal life that they, meaning us, he's praying for us, may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. The purpose of life is to know God. Now, for those of you who are at the seminar, remember there's a difference between knowing that God exists and trusting in God, right. Right? right? Even the demons know that God exists, but they don't trust in him. Jesus is talking about the relationship kind of know, not just the intellectual kind of know. Oh yeah, I know you exist. That doesn't get you anywhere. You gotta go from belief that to belief in. And when you add the Great Commission to this, The purpose of life is to know God and to make him known. So this is where hope and identity come in. Remember how we said that our culture thinks that if you got this idea or desire on your heart, that becomes the real you? That's not true for most things, but it is true in Christianity. How? Because, if you truly trust in Christ, then what God sees when he sees you is Christ. In other words, you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. You see, Christianity is the only worldview where you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. There's nothing you can do to earn it. If you have to achieve your identity, as the world tells you, number one, that puts all the pressure on you. Number two, there's always someone that can do it better. It's fragile, it's fleeting. The only identity and the only hope that's eternal and incorruptible, the only hope you can't lose is the identity you get when you become a Christian because then God sees who you are. You know, you can lose everything in life. You can lose your job, you can lose your money, you can lose your spouse, you can lose your health, you obviously can lose your life. There's only one thing you can never lose, and that is Jesus. You can't lose him. And if you can't lose him, and he's gonna give you a new identity, why would you look anywhere else? So stop trying to achieve your identity. Receive your identity. In fact, uh, John, who was an eyewitness and disciple of Jesus, who traveled with Jesus, and of course wrote several books of the Bible, as I've already mentioned, including a biography that we call a gospel, He says this in the first chapter of the biography of Jesus. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You become a child of God when you trust in what Jesus has done. Well, everyone's a child of God by creation, but not everyone's a child of God by relation. Because if you don't want God now, He's not going to force you into heaven against your will. You have to accept what he's done in order to receive a new identity. Have you ever done that? Have you ever accepted a new identity? Why wouldn't you? It's free. You see, our hope and identity comes from what Christ did for you, not what you do for him. Pastor Brent, is his identity in Christ is not because he is the pastor of a rise Church, his identity in Christ is because he's accepted the free gift of salvation. One day he won't be the pastor of this church. Is he gonna lose his identity? No, he's still got the identity. No matter what happens to you, you can't lose that identity. It's eternal. You have it forever. So, what are the three possible paths? Out, in, or up. What are the three seductive traps? Sex, money, and power. What's the one biblical answer? You find your identity by accepting what Christ has done. And when you accept what Christ has done, you're not only forgiven for what you've done, you're given his righteousness. That's your new identity. You have it. You can't follow your heart because it's deceitful. You can't follow your heart because it's changing. You can't follow your heart because it's conflicting. Who should you follow? Follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, then you have secure hope, eternal hope, and an eternal identity. Now, this presentation I just showed you I wanna send to you for free in a PDF format just text the word evidence to that phone number, 855-909-0582. For those of you who are at the seminar already and already did that, you already have this presentation because about five presentations are gonna come to you in a PDF format, including the entire I don't have enough faith to be an atheist presentation. So if you weren't here for that, when you text the word evidence to that number, it's gonna send that to you as well. All right, now we might have a few books on the book table. Uh, for those of you that want to order a book because we ran out of the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist book or the DVD set, you can do so. We'll send it to you. It'll either be here next Sunday or the Sunday after, so you don't have to pay shipping or any of that. Now, the last thing I want to do is I want to make sure that everyone has the point because this is the whole point of this, of this sermon. Everybody read this with me, will you? Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing it to all your social platforms? If you were moved by this message and you would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myrisechurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.